listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to another special edition of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I am your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're going to be tackling sales process differentiation, how you use your sales process to differentiate against your competitors, especially in today when buyer expectations are changing, market dynamics, technology, speed at which we do business are changing. Um, Brian Burns, who is the host of the B2B Revenue Leadership Show, as well as the Brutal Truth About Sales and Selling podcasts, uh, also a widely respected sales thought leader, published author, developer of the Maverick Method. Uh, he and I have teamed up to tackle some topics and come up with kind of the five points that we believe executives need to pay attention to, think about, and start to incorporate into their approaches to their sales organizations in order to stay ahead of kind of this big wave of trends. Uh, again, today we're going to talk about sales process differentiation. After the show, I will uh, do a little wrap-up, uh, provide some additional information. But for now, I'm going to just let us rip right into the conversation with Brian. Hey, Chad, let's talk about sales process as a competitive advantage. The number one thing I had was being able to network at scale. And, you know, we had talked in a previous episode about, you know, really applying technology. But I think this is something that we can really do today. Uh, have you been like trying to really leverage social and the internet to scale with your clients? It, yeah, it's interesting, right? So if you if you um, there's a thing called the Dunbar number, right? Dunbar was an anthropologist and he was an evolutionary psychologist, and he actually did some research with uh, I think it was John Gore, the guy who created Gore-Tex. Gore figured out that he had 150 people. Once he hit 150 people in a factory, uh, the minute you cross that threshold, it, people stop being as efficient, right? So. Uh, Dunbar comes in, he does his research. Basically, what he figures out is the brain can only handle 150 relationships at a time, can only hold on to that. Now, what is beautiful about things like LinkedIn is it does allow you to, I think, now some people would argue with me, I think it allows you to get past that limitation. But you have to be um, you know, consistent in it. One of the things that we teach in our class is, you know, look, I've got, I've got over 1,500 contacts or something like that on LinkedIn. I don't I wouldn't know if I picked up the phone, I think maybe 10% would, would return my call, right? Now, somehow I got connected to them. But what you can do with LinkedIn, and one of the things that I do on a religious basis, is every week I hit 10 people and I send them a note in LinkedIn, say, hey, it's been six months since we talked. You got 15 minutes for a digital coffee, no agenda. Just want to see what's going on and if there's a way I can be a service. And just do that on a regular basis so you can keep that network you know, strong and reliable uh, is something that I think if sales reps do that, they'd have a heck of a lot more powerful network and be able to leverage those social tools effectively. Yeah, I think the person who figures this out is going to be insanely effective. And, you know, I, I was kind of one of the early adopters of LinkedIn. I really saw the potential because I'm old enough to remember what it was like before LinkedIn. <laughs> you and me both. Well, I, I remember when, you know, I did startups, you know, one one job, you know, every two and a half, three years. And you, you'd go to a brand new company, you get the laptop, and what did you have? You really didn't have much of a CRM, you had your contact database. And what I'd go and I'd meet my friends for a lunch, and I'd swap spreadsheets, and, and that, that was your, your Rolodex, that was your, your social network back then. And when I saw LinkedIn come about, where you had like the relationships, who they worked for, the company, the, essentially their resume on there, and then some interests that they have with like groups, 
and blog posts that they put out, then all of a sudden you had this intel. Never, never mind the contact information. I mean, it used to be near impossible to try and guess somebody's email address. <laughs> right. And now it's easy. I mean, not only with LinkedIn, all the things that plug into it. What's the, is it Hunter, I think, that plugs in? We'll find email addresses and stuff. You can find data on people today. That's no problem. The trick is, I think, especially with, with you know, social tools, being able to leverage them so that you can keep that, uh, that network that you have reliable. Reliability, I think, moving in the future is going to be huge for sales reps because you'll see a lot of people like, hey, I just got to 10,000 connections on LinkedIn. Awesome. That's great if you're marketing <laughs> yeah. through that. But if you if you really wanted to pick up the phone and you needed to talk to one of those 10,000 people, what are the chances that they would pick it up? Right? So when you look at those types of tools, just staying on it a little bit and being, you know, proactive, it does. Unfortunately, guys, sales is work. Sorry. Um, you've got to, you know, if you, if you stay on top of it and you reach out to them on a regular basis uh, with, again, no agenda, it's just you just want to keep them fresh then you have a much more reliable way of going about it. And I think you can network at scale using the tools that way. But it doesn't just happen automatically. Right. And, and I also think you have to use it super wisely and not be spammy right. and just doing the ask. You know, the, the last thing you should do is when you connect with somebody is then ask for something. Right. I, I don't even say thank you at first. I, I, I wait a day. Right. That way you can you don't come across as a sales rep. You don't come across as a taker. What you want to do is come across as a giver. Right. And make suggestions, share information with people, ask questions, kind of build that rapport before. Of course, you're going to ask eventually, but you get that know, like, and trust thing moving. Right. It's really powerful. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. My number two was understanding your clients and starting to think like your clients. I think too often we're, we're stuck in our own PowerPoints. <laughs> I like that. I'm going to steal that. Stuck it up. <laughs> it's public domain. <laughs> I mean, people get, you know, you do, you see people, and you see this a lot, right? And this isn't really new. Sales reps, they drink the Kool Aid, right? The onboarding process is when you start companies, especially larger organizations, you go through a sales academy or you go through whatever it is about the product training. You really have to drink the Kool Aid in order to understand it. The problem is, that's a different flavor of Kool-Aid than the person you're selling to is interested in, right? So being able to really understand um, their business, their situation, and then you know uniquely tie what you can bring to the table to that to them uh, is where I think the power is going to lie. That's it, and I think the people who really you know understand the market, understand their clients. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, you got to know their business better than them." Well, I don't think you're going to get that level. <laughs> yeah, no, not going to happen. <laughs> But you can certainly put your your yourself in their place. Understand what their day is like, and the, the challenges that they have. How are they evaluated? How do they get promotions? What do they care about? Uh, what motivates them? What keeps them up at night? And what's going to get them excited? Right. Well, and it's always interesting when you know we're working with clients and they're like, "So how do I find that stuff out?" And I'm like, "All right. Well, who are you selling to? Well, I'm selling to let's say a CMO. Okay. Well, last time I checked, you have a CMO." What does their day look like? What does their calendar look like? What are they dealing with inside your company? Start there. I mean, if you're going to have these roles, you're going to there are easily accessible ways inside your own organization to start and get that feel, and then expand on that with the tool set and the research that you can do out there. That's it. Yeah, and the people who do that, you know, because they're going to understand, you know, is this deal real? How long is it going to take? Right. And you know, it's something I really spent a lot of time studying. I'd say, if I was them, what would I do? And or just ask the question, 
you know, what is in their personal best interest, not just the companies, not just their role, but their personal right. best interest. Because what I've learned is people will always do what's in their own personal <laughs> best interest. Well, and a lot of the sales processes out there and methodologies don't ever touch on on covering that personal value. I mean, that was one of the things I think that was key as I was an individual contributor way back in the day. Uh, it was key to my success was understanding the motivation of the individual as an individual, not as a CMO or as part of the company, but really what was driving them, you know, and their motivations are, yeah, maybe they may be similar, but they're always different. Somebody's more focused on family or their kids are at a different age. So maybe it's now college and tuition payments, or, you know, maybe it's something else that, that they're focused on wanting to be recognized in their career. But to Taking the time to do that and being the trick is being authentic about it. You've seen, and I'm sure you've seen this too. You see sales reps where it comes off kind of slimy for lack of a better word, right? But being, you got to, I think in order to be successful in sales moving forward, you're going to have to genuinely have an interest in other people. You're not going to be able to fake it. Yeah. And it doesn't take long for it to bubble up either. And I think too many reps focus on all people care about is increasing revenue and decreasing costs. <laughs> right. Well, maybe the board cares about that or the shareholders care about it, but you know, the, the CEO would like a private jet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. Because flying private is a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That should be our and, that should be every sales rep's goal. Like I want to fly private. Like you get successful enough that I'm gonna fly private with the CEO. Yeah. And that, then all of a sudden you'll start, there's a personal win right there. <laughs> uh, my number three, and we, we've talked about this before, but technology. I mean, I think that as a competitive advantage, finding out personalized information, like I've, I've partnered with like Alice and Nudge. Th- these are companies that will give you personalized information about the account, the people, what they care about all using artificial intelligence without you having to do much other than just follow these people. And and the person who's able to do this at scale without spending, you know, any more than a half hour a day, I think is in the future is going to be phenomenal salespeople. Well, and Nudge is, I mean, Nudge is a phenomenal tool. I mean, it drops, I mean, I use, I use it as well. The, it drops the information right there into your, I'm, we've got Gmail, using Gmail. So it drops it right there. I don't have to go look for it, right? So anything that's going to help you save time, the technology that's going to bring the important information to give you kind of that 360 degree view of your prospect, that's the way you're going to be able to do it at scale. And the technology tools that understand that and don't have a lot, don't bring a lot of overhead to the table. I mean, it, there are CRMs. I will that I shall not name that are the behemoth, that are <laughs> the behemoths <laughs> that yeah. that it just takes more overhead time and I've never seen a sales rep adopt something that increases their you know quote unquote overhead or admin or gets in the way of them selling so if you've got tools that streamline that and allow them to do that at scale I think your your adoption and your ability to get that into the market is going to be huge and then leveraging that as a sales rep is going to be key to making sure you constantly have a full funnel. And I think that's it because the new CRM is the internet. And yeah. I think yes. Nudge is probably doing the, the best job of making the internet uh, consumable for a salesperson without you having to proactively do everything. You know, and I, I think the person who's a- able to leverage that for personalization, for intelligence, for ideas and things to talk about and things that people care about because it's not going to be features and functions. No. Not it's not, not at first. <laughs> that, well, and, and it's funny. I mean, the last time I sold it, and we're, gonna, we're going back because I spent the last 10 years selling services. But before that, 
I, anytime we got into features and functions, you just saw people's eyes glaze over, and it's worse today. I mean, they'll 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 need a demo, right? They'll they'll have to have somebody, you know, vet it. But typically, at least in my experience, the person buying it is rarely the person who's actually going to use it. And so, especially when you're selling at B two B enterprises, right? So, a smaller company, sure, yeah, you're selling me, you know, Outreach.io. I'm going to be the one using it. But in larger enterprises or even medium sized, the person that's actually going to write the check isn't the one that's probably going to be using the tool. So it depends on who you're talking to. But the minute you go after the wrong person with features and functions, you can see the glaze. You can see the walking dead look hit their face, right? So just stop. Focus on yeah. them and their business. I said, I was talking to a great rep yesterday, and he says, you know, my key advantage is instead of just doing a demo, I basically uh, implement the product in that hour that I have with them. Ah, perfect. You know, he <laughs> asked, you know, exactly what do you need? Okay, let's put this in. Okay, w- what's the process you'd like to take them through? Let's put this in. Let's, let's give it a shot. Let's try it. Okay, here's what other people use. Let's, I, this is how I'd recommend it. It turns into kind of... Um, a customization, a consultation versus a, a demo. And I think it was super engaging. And at the end, they have something. They have a, a straw man of how to leverage that product for them. That's a perfect example of providing value with every interaction. I mean, that's a, that's a beautiful approach. That, that reps figured it out, right? You're doing something that's collaborative, it's interactive, it's leveraging your tools, but you're also providing them something at the end so it wasn't just you know, sitting in a room for an hour listening to a pitch about you know, open, save, cut, and paste or whatever the new feature set is today. Yeah, and I think you know, the people who are going to use technology throughout the process to, to re- remove that friction – Everything from, you know, contracts to presentations to business justifications to be able to do that without having to spend much time to, to make basically make a cut and paste and to be able to keep track and have the intelligence. Because I don't know if, if you use anything that gives you email notifications when someone opens it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I love that stuff. You know what? Like, I got to tell you, one of the best pieces of technology for me personally has been the calendar link. I mean, I know you oh. and I. I know you and I use it, but I mean, just with people that don't even have it, like it has saved so much time. It is so easy to be like, "Hey, here, I'll make it easy for you. Here's a link to my calendar. Find a time that works for you." Internally, exactly. with customers, prospects, that thing—that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Before I got on this, I, somebody was interviewing me about you know pure outbound cold calls, and I said, "Well, you know, I, I don't do any." And they go, well, you had a video. Well, that was five years ago that you don't only do two a day. I go, you don't use the phone? No, I'm on the phone all day. But, but, you know, if it's not on my calendar, that way when people, their calendar changes, they can change it without interfering or checking with me. Right. You know, and they can get on my calendar when you, they know I'm available. I block out the times and I use certain days for certain topics that I care about. So I don't do a lot of context right. shifting. And you talk about productivity, it is like insane. Oh, well, and it's just, I mean, it also, just from a psychology standpoint, you're getting this other person to, they're already engaging with you just by clicking on the link. You're giving them power in the process, right? And infusing them with a sense of ownership. And it saves me a hell of a lot of time in the back and forth. Well, no, Monday at two to four or four to five or Wednesday. Like, oh man, I'm so glad I don't get those emails anymore. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, you pick. Oh, (laughs) Oh, any time next week. How's Wednesday? Any day but Wednesday. Okay. And then you get time zone. Who calls who? Yeah. Do we do it on Skype? Do we do it on the phone? Oh, that that used to drive me crazy. Yeah. 
the technology, know, the technology again, like I said, that's scalable, that 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 allows you to be more efficient. Uh, on both sides of the equation, right? Like nudge gives me information so I can be more in tune with the person I'm talking to, make it more valuable for them. The calendar link stuff gives me the ability to engage somebody, get them involved with me, give them some power, right? Those types of tools are just, they're invaluable, I think, in the sales process. Yeah, and especially anything that you can put on your smartphone, you know, because yeah. I, I, I got the iPhone, that the, not the first time it went out, but the second time, and I've been so hooked on it because you know I can get so much done while I'm standing in line at Starbucks and stuff and I have all my key apps on the home screen and be able to you know connect with people get emails done all real quickly and immediately you know using text I, I really encourage you know everybody I work with to use text you know which is pretty natural for you know anybody under 40 but <laughs> the, yeah the age thing's interesting right there's a stat that we used to use that 70 is like 74% of millennials uh, when they wake up in the morning the first thing they do is roll over and grab their phone instead of touch their significant other <laughs> uh, right? So, I mean, you're, you're that attached and we used to call it the one foot, three foot, 10 foot experience. So there's your phone, your computer, and then television or large scale screens. Uh, and so we have a tendency to, to be inundated by these screens and that phone, we're, we're just, I mean, you watch the videos online of people walking into, you know, parking meters because they're texting or staring at the screen, not paying attention. That's a, it's a phenomenal device for efficiency and to get in touch with and engage with people. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, certainly the younger people have adopted it. I think a lot of people, you know, some people over 40 should really spend more time with it. <laughs> yeah. Not to be uh, ageist, but yeah, I agree. Well, okay. I'm, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm, <laughs> hey, I'm over 40, but I have, I have so one. My, and it's, so. and it's, always, <laughs> it's always within uh, two feet of me. Like if my phone is not within two feet of me, I start to have, like, you know, I break into cold sweats. Well, that's it. Because anybody like under 40 that they don't call you, like all my friends call me impromptu and stuff. They don't text first, but younger people will text first. Hey, is now a good time to talk? (laughs) Which is fine, you know, but it's, it's kind of cool. Hey, my number four was turning clients into advocates. I think the people, this is kind of old school, but I think it's really even more important now since those latent customers are so hard to get. If you've got a customer, you've got to make them successful. You've got to make them your advocate. Oh, without, I mean, it used to be that way. You were always trying to do that, right? But now today, especially with like the increase in content, the increase in, you know, um, uh, thought leader marketing and referral marketing and stuff like that, you want your customers to go out and tell their story. First off, people relate better to stories. Second off, it's not coming from you. And as a salesperson with a, you know, an agenda, you're, you're going to, they're going to look at you a little bit biased. But you have a customer that you can put out there that's going to talk about how what it was like to work with you, what the experience was like, what the results were, right? They can give them more of that understanding, that three-dimensional understanding of really what it means to partner with somebody that's extremely powerful. But it takes a lot of work to make sure that your customer experience, all the way through the sales process, your sales experience and your customer experience is flawless. That's it. And that's something you know I did you know when I was selling enterprise software. As soon as I got one account, I would take that account out to lunch, meet a prospect, and then I'd, I'd daisy chain them. And then I'd ha- I had part of my ecosystem is consultants that would do the implementation, you know, and I'd bring them in on the sales process to understand how each stage is going to go. And it, it helps out with that mystery middle piece of the deal, where it's like, okay, they're kind of bought in, they want to move forward, 
but it's still not ready yet. Right. And it's, and you don't have the money allocated. It's, you know, the CEO isn't bought in. There's no business justification written yet. And what you end up having is a system, an ecosystem that, that really works. And I've had um, you know, the founder of Influitive on and He's got, you know, building a product to even help people with this to make your clients your advocates. And, you know, the reps kind of think of this as marketing's job, but, and, and, and it might be, but, you know, if they, if you don't close the deal, it doesn't matter whose job it is. Right. Well, and especially when you get into, you know, combination of so, uh, services and products, right. Where you, where you're selling a product and then there's implementation services or customization services in order to have a customer who's willing to be an advocate, uh, you've got to make sure from beginning to end that it's, it's, uh, you know, beneficial to them. That it provides the results it's going to provide as a sales rep. I always used to I never used to just turn an account over. I never used to throw it over the wall. Like I was always there riding along, annoyed the crap out of our consultants and stuff. But at the end of the day, I was like, look, if we can get to the other side and they'll stand up and they'll they'll come give a talk or they'll talk to another prospect or they'll you know, do a blog post or a white paper or whatever. If they're willing to do that, that's invaluable. And it's not... All right. Yes, marketing has some role in that, but it's my job. I've always thought as a sales rep to get them to that point because I'm going to then turn that around and use that to bring in another customer and make more money. Right. So the the sense of ownership or at least involvement, uh, I think, needs to be more consistent as people move forward. Yeah, and I think it, it plays into the that chief revenue officer idea where that that person is responsible for you know getting the accounts, turning them into advocates, turning advocates into part of the marketing team where you know they're working on case studies and testimonials and use cases and all of a sudden you start to build that ecosystem and reps who embrace that who who put extra effort into it instead of just looking at it going after the next kill (laughs) which you know we're programmed to do because there's maybe no revenue there you know, for another 12 months. And, you know, that's kind of short-term thinking, but there, that reference, you know, that reference is only going to be there if they owe you something. If that rapport is strong, if that relationship is strong, then you get the reference. Otherwise you get the, oh yeah, have them call me. Oh, (laughs) without a doubt. You'll never get the call back and you'll never get the reference. And that, that looks even worse. Yeah. And then, and then of course, I mean, especially with the prevalence of, you know, social media and if you, irritate somebody so much like i had a ceo once you remember and maybe this shows my age but lexmark printers right when inkjet printers were were a big deal uh and they first came out he had a bad experience with a lexmark salesperson when i met the ceo it was like 18 years later and he was looking at new printers for the it was looking at new printers for the office and the one thing he said was under no circumstances do you bring a lexmark product into this organization 18 years later Wow. So if you go negative, you're, you, the ramifications of that are, are you know, severe. And so really staying focused on that and using that, that opportunity to turn them into an advocate, you know, it's, it's worth its weight in gold. It is. My number five one is kind of controversial, or controversial, I should say, <laughs> is compete to kill. Now, this is a kind of a cultural thing that I had when I was a rep that there wasn't a, a world of abundance out there that there was only so many deals for my products and I was going to kill my competition. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't just want to beat them. I, and I wanted the, that rep to go look for another job. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, it. I love it. So yeah, all the headhunters I knew, I would always, you know, Hey, you know, there's Joe over there. You know, I don't think he's doing that well. You might want to pull him out of there and give him a better <laughs> career opportunity. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. I mean, look, the name of the game in sales is to win, right? That's, it's competitive. Uh, we want to make sure that we're, you know, providing a complete solution. So if you can get a foot in the door, tip of the spear, whatever cute little phrase we want to use to get in the door, the, the job is to get rid of the competition. We're, we're not in, you know, you can do, what do they call it, co opetition or something like that. I never understood yep. that. I never, I never understood that. I am definitely a type A. I want the entire account. You can, you can go somewhere else kind of guy. So completely agree with that. But it also breeds focus, right? Focus and more of a strategic thinking for sales reps, whether they're able to accomplish it or not. But to be able to think like that and think holistically of what are all of the problems I can sell or solve for this account, right? And how can I increase my revenue? If that means focusing on taking out the competition, you're at least focused on the account, right? And stay engaged with it. That's it. When I hear a rep go, oh, you win some, you lose some. Like, <laughs> Bullshit. No, you don't. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, what's the commission on a, a lost deal? Right. You know, zero. <laughs> that, that money is now in someone else's pocket. And I'm, I mean in, in this in the most positive way. I mean you don't uh, do anything unethical, immoral, sure. but you do stay super focused and you are there to win the deal. And, you know, you've got to understand your competition is too. You get into these beauty contest deals where they're looking at three vendors. You're going to narrow <laughs> it off. down to two. And then we'll, we'll narrow it down to one. And then all three will bid so they can use the pricing against each other. And you've got to understand what the client is doing and drive them towards what you want them to do. Yeah, I mean, in those situations, bake-offs are always interesting to me, right? If you get an RFP, first question should always be, all right, look, let's just be honest with each other. If I'm cannon fodder and you've already got a chosen vendor and you just need some numbers, then let's save us both some time. I'll shoot you some numbers. I'll just I'll shoot you something so you can check that checkbox. But if you're willing to engage, okay. And if, if you're doing a bake-off... The really, you know, you see it time and time again. You know, I've 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 run teams where we've beat some of the big four uh, because we're not focused on what we're going to do. We're going to focus on the results that the customer is going to get out of it, right? And so we're not looking at just what the RFP is, you know, set telling us to look at. We're looking at the business as a whole. So RFP is a small window into a much bigger thing. My job, when I go into those things, those bake offs, my job is to wipe the floor with the competition so there's nobody left standing. And I don't mean, again, like you said, not unethical. It's just a matter of drive, focus, and value that you want to bring, right? And, and commitment determination. Yeah, because I, this you always, what is the first question you always get or one of the first questions you get when you have that on-site meeting? They say, well, who, who do you compete against? <laughs> and right, you know why they're asking because they, they want a, you know, another alternative. Sure. And yeah. And they say, oh, well, we're kind of in this new space. And you always give like maybe two weak alternatives or people who really aren't in the space at all. <laughs> Usually when I get asked that question, I'm like, well, we compete with A, B, and C. And if you call them, I would ask them this question. And we compete with X, Y, and Z. And if you call them, I would ask them this question, knowing full well that the questions I've given them are things I know the competition hasn't figured out yet or, or have a you know a solution for uh, that we do, right? And it's it's just that standard understanding, you know, not only understanding clients, industries, and markets, you do need to understand who your competitors are, not only what they're providing, but how they're selling too. Yeah, and I think this all comes back to that advocacy and ecosystem that you're building, that it's not a single transaction, that each, what I, I used to call the bowling pin approach, <laughs> where you, know, you knock down the head pin and all the other pins naturally fall. 
Right. And so you try and find who's the kingpin account or the kingpin partners that you have in your territory that if you worked with them, you get them successful and they all of a sudden everything else becomes easier. Right. Right. You got to start somewhere and you got to be relentlessly focused on the win. I mean, I don't know. I've had managers that are like, oh, well, you know, it's okay. You got you got beat. No, it's not okay. I want to know how I got beat. Why did I get, you know, what can I do better next time? Because I'm going back to that account. Like, I, I always used to tell reps, the two things that I would tell reps on my team that they hated is, number one, price is a phantom objection, right? It just means you haven't demonstrated the value. And second, if you lost, that account isn't dead. It just means you have a hell of a lot more work to go get it back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you have any that I missed? Or? No, those were great. I think that was, that was perfect. That was perfect. Cool. Hey, I really appreciate your time today, Chad. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I look forward to doing it again. All right, everyone, that does it again for this episode. I hope you found uh, some value in the topics that Brian and I were covering. Uh, it's been an absolute joy to, to team up with him on this and hear his perspectives, share insights, tactics, strategies, things that have worked for us and our clients as we have worked with them. I appreciate you listening. Please uh, share the podcast out with friends, family, coworkers, your your network. Let people know that it's out there. And if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please uh, write us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast uh, source you're using. Uh, those reviews help us really you know craft the content for the show the types of guests that we invite the topics that we tackle so again thanks everybody for the time uh check us out at b2brevexec.com and until next time uh myself and everyone at value prime solutions wish you and nothing but the best there is no one size fits all solution for optimizing your sales and marketing organizations yet how you sell and market is a tremendous differentiator Value Prime Solutions uses proven formulas and frameworks with a customized approach to increase your sales and marketing ROI. To learn more about how we can help you, visit valueprimesolutions.com.